I want to welcome everybody to Christ the King Church. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at CTK. And I want to welcome everyone here at the Bellingham campus. A special welcome to those of you who are joining us at Ferndale. And those of you who are joining us online as well. At all of our campuses, we're going to be receiving communion here in the next couple of moments. And so if you're at home alone right now, watching online, I'd like to encourage you to go and get what you need so that you can uh, take communion together here with us. And uh, we're excited about doing that. Before we dive in, I, I just want to say just a couple things, because I think it's really, really important that we, that we understand how help sometimes works. Um, as this disaster has rolled itself out over the last couple of days, we start getting calls right away at the church. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Here's what we need to do right now. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to not react. We need to respond. As much as a warm blanket may be very, very beneficial, it doesn't help right now. You could bring all kinds of stuff here. We've got no way of getting it on the ground over there where people need it. Uh, we have relationship with places, uh, with organizations like World Vision, uh, Save the Children. Those two are the two big ones, and the Red Cross as well. And, and, and we have to just pray in faith, believing that God's going to take our good intentions and our generosity and get it to the right place at the right time. Right now, that's the best thing you can do. Okay, bringing stuff here doesn't really help anybody over there because there's people with boots on the ground over there. And if we can help them by being generous, that's what's going to help people the most. And so if we can move in that direction and we'll keep you up to date as best we possibly can as well. I just also want to say thanks for something. Last weekend, we had a moment when people got to be very vulnerable, stand up and declare their need of help from God, lift their hands up into the air. I have never been so moved or so proud of this church as last weekend, when I saw people literally have 30 people gather around them in their need, hold their hands up in the air and pray for them tangibly. I saw people stand here afterwards for long periods of time sharing their names and their stories. It was moving. It was touching. It was church. And I just want to say thank you to everybody, both campuses, who stood up and was courageous about that. I thought it was just awesome. All right, here we go. You know, I don't know why, but getting on an airplane brings out this inner three-year-old inside of me. As soon as I get on an airplane, I think it's because as soon as I get on an airplane, they start telling me what to do. And there's this little three-year-old inside of me that just says, you're not the boss of me. You don't get to tell me what to do. I mean, the second I get on, they're just like, sit down and take a seat, put your seatbelt on. I'm like, I'll do it when I want to, you know, step out of the aisle, put your bag up on top. Why is it that people can't clear the aisle way? I don't understand. You know, 60 people backed up. One guy trying to put the bag in this way and spins it this way. Check your bag. I mean, seriously. Just ticks me right off. As soon as I get on the plane, they start telling me which restroom I'm allowed to use and which one I can't. I mean, like, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to call the bathroom cops on me? I mean, seriously. I'm go to the, I have snuck to other sections to go to the bathroom just to prove that I can, you know? Then they say, in case of emergency, you have to follow the instructions of the airline attendants. Deep inside of me, I'm just like, maybe I will. Maybe I won't, because if this baby goes down, I know one thing for sure. It's every man for himself at that point. And if nobody else is listening, I'm not listening to the instructions either. I mean, I don't understand it, but I don't understand it. But here's the basic deal. Even though I know those rules are for my good, for my protection, because, you know, for my safety, there's something about being told what to do that I just simply don't like. Even though I know they're good for me, because they're a directive, I think they're bad. Well, in Exodus chapter 20, God gives people 
the people of Israel and the rest of humanity a set of directives. The Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, not the Ten Considerations, not the Ten Sentences that you should follow in your humble opinion, not the Ten Warm Fuzzies that you can do if they work for you, the Ten Commandments. And here's what I want you to know about a commandment. A commandment is a divine imperative directive. It's divine because it comes from God, a higher authority than you. The creator is speaking to the created and saying, I want you to do these things. They're imperative because there's an expectation of obedience. God wants you to do these things because they're good for you. And finally, they're a directive because they're vitally and crucially important. They're not 10 suggestions. They're 10 commandments. A couple of summers ago, I did an entire series on the Ten Commandments. It was called Set in Stone. We took one commandment every single week for 10 weeks all summer long. If you're interested in hearing all of those, you can get them at the Media Center or at both campuses after the services. I'm not going to go into depth, in depth on all 10. We haven't got time to do that. But I do want to review what God gives the Israelites on the road out because it's a big deal. So here they come. Here are the Ten Commandments. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This means nothing is allowed to compete with God. Nothing is allowed to distract you or take your attention away from God. Now, before you go, check. I don't have any other gods before the God. Let me just run a couple of other ones, some subtle ones that may have crept in there along the way. How about the God of comfort? How about the God of money and self-sufficiency? How about the God of status? doctor so-and-so, president so-and-so, Mr. High Potentate Boss Man so-and-so, right? How about the God of convenience? How about the God of me? We don't talk about those little gods, but commandment number one is talking about those things. and says all those other gods, they got to go. Commandment number two, you shall not make or worship any idols. Think about the things that you make with your hands or with your mind that you create thinking they're going to serve you, but in the end, you end up serving them. I mean, think about these things. Some of them can be very good unless, of course, they become an idol. What about your business? How about your schedule? How about your playlist? How about your endless pursuit of having as many friends as is humanly possible on Facebook? How about your BlackBerry, or your iPhone, or your resume, or even your family? All of those things can suddenly become an idol if you're not careful for them. I mean, I created my own schedule this past week, and guess what? It didn't serve me. I ended up serving it. Every time my phone goes off, it's because it runs me, not the other way around. I'm never going to be done with this one, because I see so many people in the service twitch the second your phone goes off in your pocket. You try and convince me that that's not a little idol of some kind. Because it commands your complete and total attention. Amen? Come on, pastor. Here we go, right? I mean, just think about it. This verse literally says we're not to make or worship any idols. The words in Hebrew and Greek, shaka and proskuneo, literally mean you're not going to have anything in your life that you blow a kiss towards. Nothing that you're going to send love towards other than God himself. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
That means you're not going to demean the name of God or Jesus Christ. You're going to honor the name that has the name that's above every other name, at the name of Jesus, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you're never going to diminish that name in any way, shape, or form. That means this. You're not going to turn it into a curse. You're not going to use it lightly, which means this. As a follower of the Most High God, you saying, oh my God, is not cool. It's not cool. One of these days you might say it, and if a voice from heaven says, yes, you're going to freak out, and you should, because that name is the name that saves the souls of broken human beings, and it deserves to be treated with utmost respect. Utmost respect. Number four, you should remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Here's the question. Do you strategically set aside a day to rest and reflect on God? Are you obedient to creating a window when you're not plugged in? When you're not driven by a schedule? When you're not responding to anyone other than the Holy Spirit himself? God wants us to learn that rest is good. He has an anticipation that all of us are going to be involved in labor at some point. And he knows that in order to balance labor, you have to rest at some point. Number five, honor your father and your mother. This means all of us are to create a place of honor for our parents. How do we do that? I'll tell you how not to do it. You don't do it by making your parents your convenient scapegoat for all of your issues. That's how you don't create honor. Now, it could be, and let me tell you realistically, for some of you, it could be the only honorable thing about your parents is that God used them to bring you into the world. If that's the case, you honor that. You bless what is blessable. You bless who God gave you and how they are because God made that decision, not you. Number six, you shall not murder. I spent a huge amount of time unpacking this one in the series in light of the difference between murder and killing. If you're interested in it, you can grab the series afterwards. But the bottom line was basically this. We're called to honor human life. We're called to choose life because God values life. We also learned as part of this one that you shall not murder. We learned the New Testament understanding of how murder works. Because Jesus said, when you mutter under your breath, and the word in the New Testament is raka, which literally means empty head or bucket head. When you walk past somebody and they do something and you're just like, you bucket head. Jesus said, the same anger that made you spout that out of your mouth is the same anger that will lead you to murder if you don't keep your heart and your mind in check. So when you think a murderous thought about that coworker, or your spouse, or that nauseating family member, the Bible says when you think it, you just became guilty of it. Ouch. The next one, you shall not commit adultery. This simply means honor your wedding vows. Remain pure in your relationship with your spouse. Remain pure in the relationship you have with the spouse that you haven't even met yet, young people. Choose purity and don't commit adultery on the front end, during, or after the relationship. I'll throw this one in for free as well. Not committing adultery means you're going to quit flirting on Facebook with your old high school flame, which, by the way is not true and is extremely extremely fraudulent because the picture is a lie and so are all of the details about their life. You're being lied to. That's why people are hiding. 
boy, it got quiet in here in a hurry. The next one, you shall not steal. This one's pretty simple. Leave everybody's stuff alone. It all belongs to God, and if you steal, you're going to answer to him for it. When I preached this one a couple summers ago, I got mail on this one like no other because I pointed out some thefts that just freaked people out because they justified them and said, I don't think that's stealing. So let me make sure everybody knows. Theft includes ripping off copyrighted material and sharing it with your friends. Theft happens when you're supposed to be working for your boss and you just stop working because in that moment you're stealing time from your employer. Theft includes plagiarizing somebody else's material and passing it off as your own without recognizing their effort. Theft includes all of these things as well as when you go to the supply closet at work and borrow a box of paper clips because you just need those at home. You know your obedience and you shall not steal when you can say this. I don't take what isn't mine. I work for what I get. Here's the next one. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This commandment means we're going to shoot straight. We're going to tell the truth. Our yes is going to be yes. Our no is going to be no. And I'll tell you what, as believers, we struggle with this one because there is so much that we justify under the banner of caring conversations when in reality, it's just plain gossip. And we need to watch that one. Here's the bottom line. If you're willing to obey this commandment, you should be able to say, I endeavor to tell the truth about my conduct and to reserve judgment about others until I know the facts. I refuse to engage in gossip that would hurt or wound anybody. That would be obedience to this commandment. Here's the last one. You shall not covet. That means not only are you supposed to keep your fingers off of everybody else's stuff, you're supposed to keep your greedy, envious mind off of it too. This is the decision on this one. The decision is to say, I'm not jealous of anybody else's possessions. I'm content with what God has given me, both in talent and possessions, because he is more than enough for me. Now, here's what's difficult about these things. We look at these commandments and we go, I know they're supposed to be there for my good, but I just struggle with them anyway. Because there's something inside of me that just says, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. Let me just make it as perfectly clear as I possibly can. When you obey the Ten Commandments, it goes well for you. It goes well for you because God is a loving parent who wants you to understand how deep and rich and wonderful your life can be if you're obedient. If you read the Ten Commandments, you know, there's a, I think there's a logical conclusion that we, can come, or that we can come to because of the Ten Commandments. And I think the conclusion is this. I think God has a problem with takers. I mean, you think about it. When you choose to worship another God or an image of a God that you made with your hands, you're taking glory that only God deserves and assigning it somewhere else. When you take the name of the Lord in vain, you, you, you're taking that name and you're trivializing it. When you take the Sabbath and use it for your own pursuit, you're taking God's rest for granted. When you dishonor your parents, you're taking honor that's supposed to go for them and assigning it somewhere else. When you murder, you're taking a life that God created. When you commit adultery, you're taking someone else's spouse or their future spouse. When you steal, you're taking something that's not yours. When you give false testimony, you're taking the truth and substituting a lie. When you covet... You're taking God's provision for granted. I mean, yeah, I think you just look through the Ten Commandments and go, God's got a problem with takers. Now, here's the tough truth about the Ten Commandments. We are all guilty of breaking all of them. 
Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you so glad you came to church today? Every single one of us is guilty of breaking every single one of them. I am. I worshipped another God this week. The God of self-sufficiency. The God of distraction consumed a large part of my heart in the past seven days. I've created images that demanded my worship, my schedule, my comfort, my drive for perfection. I've used the name of God lightly different times in my life. I haven't always honored the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? I do whatever works for me on most Sabbath days. I've thought and said horrible things about the parents that God gave me, especially as a younger person. Now that I'm getting older, I realize they were way smarter than I ever gave them credit for. I've murdered in my mind on my commute home over and over and over again. I've committed adultery. Not in body. But the Bible says that one lustful thought is exactly the same. I've stolen ideas, accolades, and time. I haven't always told the truth. And I've lost track of the number of times I have looked at my neighbor's Harley Davidson and thought, God should have given that to me. I've broken every single one. And if you were honest, you would have to say, so have you. We're all guilty. And that takes us to a very, very difficult moment. Because if we're all guilty, how in the world can we come and take communion? We have a crisis, right? I mean, let's just review what communion is. I told you what commandment was. Let me talk about what communion is. Communion is a simple and yet powerful remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus. Well, if God has a problem with takers, why is this okay? Why do I get to come and take a representation of the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus? I mean, if I'm guilty of breaking even the most basic of the Ten Commandments, how in the world can it be okay for me as a broken, sinful human being to show up at God's table and just take it? Let me tell you how. Because the God who sponsors the table invited you. That's how this is okay. I believe that this should affect us deeply as we come to take communion. Based on God's invitation, there are some things that we must acknowledge and must realize if we're not going to come and take this for granted. Let me just review some New Testament theology that hopefully will lay out a welcome mat for each and every person here who knows Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior so that you can come to the table and say, this is not about me. I've got an invite. Jesus said, come so I can come because I'm not coming based on my worth. I'm coming based on his merit. And he said, come, so I'm coming. All right, how can we acknowledge? Number one, we must acknowledge that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 23 says, every single one of us doesn't measure up. And we can deny our guilt and the fact that we fall short, but if we do that, it accomplishes nothing. We must simply acknowledge, I know I fall short 
but Jesus does it. Jesus, above all, has never sinned. And he did not fall short of the glory of God. In fact, he met every qualification that God the Father laid out because he was a perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice. And I don't come under my banner, I come under his. Secondly, we must recognize that as sinners, we're all in desperate need of a Savior. 1 Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul said this, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. We have to acknowledge this as we come to the communion table. I am a great sinner, but I serve an even greater Savior. Amen? An even greater Savior. Thirdly, we must acknowledge that Jesus took our punishment and paid our penalty. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, When you were dead in your sins... When you didn't measure up, when you could not even say you got one of the Ten Commandments right, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sin, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, and He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross Here's the greatest news in all of human history. The debt of sin has been paid in full. You are not guilty anymore. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who got 1 out of 10, 10 out of 10, it doesn't matter. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, He has canceled that debt and He did it by nailing it to the cross. That's a beautiful gift. Fourthly, we must examine ourselves and acknowledge that we're guilty. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is a moment when we've got to do a gut check. When we have to be very frank and honest with our Savior about where it is that we are falling short. And then to move beyond good intentions. And to hear when Jesus says, in response to our sin, Go and sin no more. Number five, we must marvel that in spite of our disobedience, God welcomes us to come to his table. In Luke chapter 15, verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were freaking out because Jesus loved to eat with sinners. This table is open to all of us who have sinned, and that would be all of us. And what we need to know is the same man who was judged by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as a man who welcomed sinners and ate with him, that is the man who says, come. I know what you did last week. I know what happened in the dark corner of your heart. I know. And if you confess your sin... I will be faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Here's the beautiful thing about commandments and communion. God has an issue with takers. And yet his gracious response to those of us who took the sacrifice of Jesus for granted, in response to that, God gave us his son.
Jesus said, my body will be broken. My blood will be spilled. And when you come for communion, I don't ever want you to forget that all of this is for you. It's a gift. And the only way to receive a gift is to take it. This is a place where taking's okay. Not based on anything that you've done or have not done, but simply based on the gracious and all-encompassing heart of Jesus Christ. This is a celebration for God's kids. Because we know what we should be getting. But instead, we get grace and an invitation of all things. Jesus says, repent and confess your sin. Jesus says, turn from sin and towards his grace. Jesus says, be forgiven. Jesus says, receive the forgiveness that I offer. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Jesus says, come to the table because the debt has been paid. Come and remember, this was for you. So we're ready to come. Hopefully humble. Hopefully full of joy. Hopefully fully understanding how short we fall. Hopefully with the knowledge that we are accepted and welcomed here. So all sinners come, one and all, and receive the gift that Christ has for each one of us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and join us right now here in Bellingham. I'm going to turn the service over to the campus pastor in Ferndale as you'll be celebrating communion in a few moments as well. God bless you and thanks for being with us.